Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And in a week when UK airline Flybee falls victim to the coronavirus, costing almost 2,500 job losses, and John Lewis warns of possible store closures following a profit slump, we're pleased to hear that businesses are starting to pick up the pieces following the storms and floods of the past few weeks. However, we have decided to focus our attention on something that has the power and the potential to transport us to better places. And let's face it, we need them at the moment. <laughs> um, this week, we're looking at books. and for our books. Love, love books. books. Love books. And our topical discussion, um, in our topical discussion, we consider the what, why and how to go about writing one. They say everybody's got a story in them. But how easy is it to get people to pay for the privilege of reading your story and even though that we, we've covered so many books by entrepreneurs who've penned their autobiography or their pearls of wisdom. But what does it then take to spread the word? So it's quite a broad subject, but we thought it was worth looking at. Tracy, what, have you ever written a book? No, I write. I, I like to write. And I've always thought, you know, it'd be nice to write a book. But then I fall victim to the whole procrastination thing or that I actually don't spend time writing it. And to be honest, I don't really know what I would write a book about. <laughs> would it be fiction or would it be factual? I'd like to do both, honestly. Mm. Um, I'd read a lot of non-fiction and it would be quite nice from a business point of view to have uh, be known as an author in that particular field. But I, I also like to write non-fiction. Just for pleasure. Oh, sorry, to write fiction for Just pleasure. Just for pleasure. Yeah. But um, I do think it, there are very different reasons for writing a book and and I found a brilliant article. Um, a gentleman now it says on this on this blog he's called Tucker Max, but I'm starting thinking maybe he's Max Tucker. So I apologise if you are actually called Tucker Max. Either way round is a really <laughs> cool name. But Max Tucker uh, from 2016 on Medium.com, and he talks about. Um, it's not the idea for the book, it's about the motivation behind the book. And he says that people should not write a book if they're doing it for the wrong reasons. And this is from a publisher himself. Okay. So he said, although, you know, I might be encouraging everybody to write a book, the first thing they need to ask is why do you want to write a book and what you're hoping to get from it? And some people should just not write the book if they're writing it for the wrong reasons. Now, can I ask you, do you want to write a book? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I... Um Good old social media. I think about five years ago or something, I put, right, I'm going to write a book. I thought, if I put it out on social media, it will happen. How's that going then? It's not going particularly well, to be fair. Now, why did you want to write a book? Because, well, for me, uh, I wanted to write a book because I wanted to be able to use it as a marketing tool for my business. I wanted yeah. it to be a way of demonstrating some of my knowledge. I'll give you a big tick for that because oh. that's one of the good reasons for writing oh. a book, according to Max. OK, yeah. all right. One of the bad reasons is wanting to make money from it. Yeah, I well, I found some stats. I don't know if you, you came across them, but in 2012, some stats that were released in 2012, and it says, how much money can you make from writing a book in the UK? Um, so... Average earnings in 2012 were £26,500. So to make that much money on a book contract with a paperback book selling at £7.99 that pays 10% to a writer, a writer would need to sell 33,166 copies a year. Every year. Every <laughs> year. That's quite a lot of books. I didn't get that stat, but um, 
I was looking at one. It's Now, it's based in America, but it gives you an idea yeah. of the scale of the problem. So in America, in one particular year, um, only 200 books sell 100,000 copies. Only 200 in, in the USA? Yeah, out of all of the books published. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think they said there were 300,000 books published in that year and only 200 of them sold more than 100,000. So you're not going to be million sellers. You've got um, 0.07% chance of selling one-tenth of a million. (laughs) (laughs) Never mind a million. So wanting to uh, sell millions of books to make lots of money can't be the idea. However, as you said, Max talks about the fact that you can make money in other ways and use the book to give you credibility or to sell yourself as the authority Mm. in a particular area. I I think that's very valid. Certainly for a non-fiction book anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also one of the reasons I'd quite like to write a book is that sense of achievement because nowadays you can self-publish so you you don't even have to go through the pain of sending your book to loads and loads of publishers and them and all those rejections yes yeah. or them saying oh just send us the first chapter and a synopsis or you know whatever <laughs> it is um because if that were the case i'd probably write the first chapter and then not write the rest <laughs> whereas the fact that you can self-publish that you can print on demand yeah so you don't have to have i've met people in fact i worked in publishing for a time um and you know you'd have a a garage full of books in the hope that people would buy them. And it's like a monument to your failure, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All those books you can't sell it, you end up burning on your bonfire. Exactly, exactly. So um, so another good reason not to write a book is if you want to be a famous best-selling author. I thought this was really interesting. Um, Max um, said that um, name all the famous people that are only famous for writing and uh, can you think of any? Um, um, J.K. Rowling? That was on the list. Um, some of the, uh, like, Barbara Taylor Bradfords of this world. Dick Fran- Oh, Dick Francis. Well, he's dead, isn't he's he? He's dead. Oh, they've got to be alive. You didn't say that. Wow, <laughs> well, okay. no, I was moving on to that. Okay. Because you've got, obviously, you've got Hemingway and Tolkien. Oh, yeah, all of the, yeah, classics. Twain yeah, yeah, and yeah. Lee, yeah. Harper Lee yeah. and... Um, you know, they're all dead. So actually, living authors who are famous just for writing, well, you've probably got Malcolm Gladwell in there. We have reviewed some yeah, of his books. Yeah. Um, oh, of course, because once you're dead, you can't make money from it for you personally. <laughs> so what's good the point? point? <laughs> but um, actually, be, becoming on the bestseller list doesn't mean you'll become famous either, because if you think about your favourite book, was it actually on a bestseller list? One of the most um, impactful books and um, it sold 10 million copies is Man's Search for Meaning okay you've heard of that one Victor yeah, Frankl yeah, yeah, okay. it was never on a bestseller list right okay so you can sell a lot and not be on a bestseller ne- list might not even be famous for it I, but I suppose that's also because a bestseller list is probably a volume you know, a quantity so you're ranked a bit like, you know, the top 40 or whatever, you know, at a moment in time, you're a best selling book and they don't keep that cumulative total going, do they? Yeah. For 50 odd years. Yeah. So um, other ones I want to write as life. <laughs> that's reckons that's a bad reason. Um Because the example he gave is you don't get into shape by wearing the best gym clothes. <laughs> <laughs> True. Oh, yeah. So actually, Tell me you need about some that. hard work as well. Yeah. So you can't just assume the life of a writer unless you have that life already, you know, and that's your identity. 
I just want to be a writer because I want the writer's life. Actually, that also includes working <laughs> and doing doing something about it. I think I'd really struggle with the isolation of it because, you okay, you need to do research, but but ultimately you've got to sit in a room and write and write and and actually they say that, don't they? If you want to write a book. Or if you want to be a writer, the first thing you've got to do is sit down and write. You've got to write every day and then throw away a load of stuff. So I, I did see something on um, on social media saying that this um, coronavirus is great for people who are writing because self-isolation is what they do well. Yeah, well, totally. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing is, you know, we've, we've covered a lot of business books um, in the two two or so years that we've been going and business books and self-help books and personal development books are a massive part of the book industry now whereas once upon a time it was either a textbook or it was fiction you know there was no sort of in between um where people would be buying non-fiction to read for pleasure yeah yes whereas i think the whole it'd be interesting to see what that actual market is worth Mm. um in terms of the overall book market because yes fiction is very important but business and personal development and people's stories some of the business people who've written their autobiographies um and of course on our on our website which is the business community there are links to a lot of the books that we have already covered and if you were to accidentally click on one of them and accidentally um buy one of them um we get about two pence which covers the cost it all of adds our, up doesn't yeah, it to the post in our website <laughs> <Ten yes. pence. laughs> You're listening to The Business Community on Cal and FM. And in other news, now, it's difficult to find other news at the moment. Um, the coronavirus is somewhat dominating the news. However, there is other news. And I've focused a little bit on Norway here. Oh. Um, I, I saw an article that said that Norway's wealth fund. So this is the um, the the fund that's there for Norwegian citizens, Um Sort of, they invested the money from the oil, and it's it's actually an asset for Norwegian citizens. It's worth 1.1 trillion dollars, and so obviously they're quite influential. They own shares in a lot of other companies, uh, approximately 9,000 firms they invest in. And what they're going to do is they're going to use this power to push these companies um, to provide better data about their social and environmental impact. And to to not only report on what they have to report on at the moment, but to to up that standard of reporting, and to report on it regularly as well. So they they're wanting to um, they've already um, pushed on corporate sustainability, child labour, and water consumption over 10 years ago but now they're asking for more data from multinational firms as well not just Norwegian firms and they want them to start to measure externalities and that is the impact of their activity on the activity of another so somebody external and uh, it, I think it looks really interesting and, and what I like is that we, we talk a lot about sustainability and corporate social responsibility and the companies taking responsibility for it and this is an investor, a shareholder in these companies actually giving them a very good reason to focus on it mm. because sometimes companies need a good reason to spend that extra bit of money and that extra bit of care so I, I think it's a, a really positive move also, same week, so it's this week, uh, reported that their wealth fund is going to exclude four companies with um, vast emissions of greenhouse gases. 
or put them on probation to force them to change. And the, the Wealth Fund has actually got an ethics committee. So I, I think that's really positive stuff and something I'll keep an eye on. But, you know, if shareholders are starting to make it worthwhile for the companies to do that investment, then I, I think that is a way of getting um, wider change in society. We're seeing an awful lot of stuff coming out of Norway. I don't know if it's that as a country they've just got really good at PR or if they're actually... Well, they are making changes. So their deadline for electric cars, is it 2025, we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah. So they really are pushing ahead. Yeah, they seem to be leading the way very much um, in all sorts of things to do with business. They get, we, they get a name check quite often, I think. Um, closer to home, uh, an article on the BBC website around loyalty cards, the Boots Advantage card, which I think is the best Advantage card ever because you, they almost seem to be... I think I went into Boots one day and they were almost paying me to take stuff out of the shop. I mean, it was incredible. <laughs> um, but if you hold a Boots Advantage card or if you hold a Tesco Club card, then um, you may be struggling to use those cards because there has been a data breach. Um, uh, they uh, are saying that they've put a hold on using the cards until the issue has been dealt with and that it is surmountable. Um, no credit card information has been has been accessed but um hackers are trying have been trying to steal points to spend them themselves um you can still you earn your points but you can't redeem them so okay. if you uh, if you are a tesco club card holder or a boots advantage card holder um then yeah you need to i like to use my boots points to treat myself to perfume every so often yeah exactly because you can accru accumulate them really really Quickly, it seems to yeah, me. Yeah, my Tesco Club card points have bought me holidays and washing machines. Yeah, perfect, perfect. So um, again, this is going back to you know another another instance of data. Okay, they're big boys. You know, people they might tar be targeted by hackers, but data is so important. And when a breach happens, um, you know, you've you've really got to act quickly to remedy the situation. What else have you got, Trace? So I received an email from training company iHasco this week. That's a small case, I, uppercase, H-A-S-C-O. And they ordinarily send lots of emails promoting their services, but this time they sent a link to um, a coronavirus awareness video that they're making completely free. And it's got information there from the World Health Organization. I thought it was so good that I've shared it through... Uh, throughout the companies that I work in on their intranet. It's factual, it's not hysterical, it's straightforward with um, information about the virus and what you can do to um, to improve your own situation and that of your company. So uh, we'll put a link for that on our website, the business.community. But you can also find it, it's on Vimeo, it's on YouTube and it's on IHASCO's own website as well. And as you said, you know, we can't ignore the coronavirus. I mean, every story is linked in some way back to... Every page on Reuters at the yeah, moment. Yeah, that's all it, that yeah. it is. And, and, and OK, you know, that that's necessary. But as an employer, you know, legislation and rulings seem to be changing by the day. I was talking to a HR um, professional this week, uh, day before yesterday, and they said that, you know, you have to look at it on a case-by-case -case basis and get professional advice. Yeah. Um, that was before the whole thing about paying, not yeah, having your waiting days if you... Yeah, that literally broke yesterday. Yeah. But yeah. That, that was something that was sort of 
announced without any sort of background information provided to the professionals that are going to have to implement that. It, it, it was a one-liner, yes. wasn't it? And yeah. Actually, how do we do this and what are the rules around it? Uh, so so it, it takes a bit more digging and yes. finding out before you rush into it. Yes, because you don't want to cost yourself dearly. Home working, you know, where it's possible, if people can work from home, I think we might see... It. All the big tech companies are doing it yeah, at the moment, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, so it's not self-isolating and not working, it's self-isolating. Of course, that's not always possible. In all, If you run a shop, you need your people to be in the shop. But an article that I came across, published in The Telegraph today, and I'll put a link to this on our, our website, is actually how um, coronavirus compares to other things like SARS that was around flu... Um, they forget about SARS. Yeah. When was that? Uh, I'm not sure. Is, uh, was it? Because we had few... swine flu as well, didn't we, about 10 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. And we had bird flu. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, this article talks about how it relates, how it works, why it's a challenge, the way that it spreads. There are two already two strains of coronavirus, uh, one that moved fairly slowly and one that, and this is what we're seeing now, this sort of explosion. <laughs> I want you to see Heather's hands. Her hands have just done the moving slowly with like the fingers <laughs> walking slowly and then the explosion was like, <laughs> fingers all spread like an explosion. I, yeah, I need to sit on my hands. <laughs> no, no, but... I, I, th- I thought it was very informative, Heather. If but on the, the virus if, if we were on the TV, it would be much better. <laughs> anyway, I'll put, I'll put a link up to the article because I think it's really important that we keep some perspective on this. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's it's impacting on everybody. Um, but, you know, we need to just, okay. Do you know one it... thing that has really um, shocked me is um, people admitting on social media that they don't regularly wash their hands? Yeah, well... But I, I, you sort of guess that anyway. And so I've heard from a lot of gents about the gents' toilet. And you see it in, in ladies' loose in public yeah. toilets. But there was a bit of me that was just rather hoping more people regularly wash, wash their, their hands, hands than admit to it. Although, if you are in the industry, every every problem brings a boom, doesn't it? You know, And if you are in the market for producing hand sanitizer, you're probably having a record month because... It, you you can't buy it for love nor money. Which is interesting because all the articles I've read by actual chemists say um, that hand sanitizer is not as good as just using soap, yeah. good old-fashioned soap. And singing happy birthday twice while you're washing your hands. Yes. Although there was a really good post on social media which said, are you fed up of singing happy birthday? Here are, and then there was a list of so many songs with choruses that you could sing instead that last the same amount of time. <laughs> So I think it's maybe making the workplace a happier place with people singing along as they're washing their hands. Well, don't you sing it inside your head? You don't sing it out loud, do you? Oh, I thought they meant sing it out loud. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then that would make the workplace a happier place to be. I'm so excited about the discovery section of this show this week. Oh, your voice is quick. I know, I'm just absolutely bowled over. Last week, um, I went to, in fact, it was... I think it was after last week's show. I went up to Chester University to attend a lecture by somebody who we've profiled on the show before, Professor Sir Carrie Cooper, workplace psychologist, all round, fantastic speaker, and so, so knowledgeable. The talk was about workplace well-being, which we know is a hot topic at the moment. Um, and he, his, for anybody who, who hasn't, well, check back and listen to the the profile about him um but 
he has such a massive body of work. He's done so much research and worked with so many large organisations looking at what's going on in the workplace that his talk was just full of facts, information, examples and stories. Um, and a lot of it was was just really, really fascinating. He was He was put in the argument where we talk about workplace well-being and mental health and all of those types of things and um he was saying look the reasons why we need to address this is because of the cost to gdp it's not just a nice to have there is there is a financial impact here um he talked about um some research that they did with um a train company the railway company and they were looking at trackside people and um, how much time off they took through stress and so for each person that was costing about a thousand of those that were off with stress it was costing about a thousand the business about a thousand pounds a year and then he multiplied that percentage by the total workforce and we were getting into billions of pounds for this global yeah. organization just through workplace stress it's a bit like the the norway wealth fund isn't it if there's a a reason for making these changes it does make it easier in a way yeah. for other for companies to do yep. it so yep. actually when when these companies who are largely set up to achieve profit for their shareholders if one of the things that's decreasing their profit is the health of their staff then they have to address it it, it makes totally. it easy for them to make that decision doesn't it but it has to come from somebody with a desire somebody senior within the business yeah. with a desire to look at this, you know what are the numbers here and it might be a scary number but if you don't know what that number is and you're thinking that it's a small number you're probably wrong uh, and you know and how could you re repurpose that that wealth within the organization he said that in 2015 2015 was the first year that stress was the leading cause of ab work absence. 57% um, of people who were off sick were off with stress. 25% were off with musculoskeletal problems and 18% off with other. So you can't ignore that. You can't ignore that. It, and he, he then t he also talked about a study they did with the police around leaveism, and we've talked about this before, mm -hmm. where people book time off or take work on holiday in order to keep on top of their workload yeah. to protect, you know, so that they don't appear to not be coping. So oh, it was just totally, I was completely captivated, sat right at the front. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, it was just, I was just writing stuff. I mean, it was just incredible. So you, if you research Professor Cary Cooper, we we profiled him in December last Ex yeah, year. Episode ninety five. There we go. On the twelfth of twelfth of December last year. Um, check him out. Look at some of his research. He he's involved with um, a company called Robertson Cooper. Um, if you just Google Robertson Cooper, um, and you can subscribe to notifications from them about thinking around workplace well-being and just general workplace uh, psychology. Absolutely fascinating. Fantastic. Yeah, very excited. Beat that. Beat Professor Sir Carrie <laughs> Cooper, Tracy. I'm not sure I can, actually. Um, however, I was very pleased with my discovery this week, which is a rediscovery. Uh, so I was, um, Ted just 
you know, TED Talks. Good old I've Ted. I've got the app. They sometimes send me little notifications just to lure me back in. And they sent me this um, link to a video called Isolation is the Dream Killer, Not Your Attitude by a lady who we've profiled um, one of her books before because I'm, I'm quite keen on her work. It's Bar- Barbara Sher- Sher. Sorry, I did have to look up how to pronounce her name. It's S-H-E-R, but she pronounces it Sher. Okay. So I'm going to go with Sher. It was a talk for TEDx in Prague and she talks here about understanding why we often fail to bring our dreams into reality and we can blame our attitude and negative thinking or lack of effort. But what she says is is that it's this lack of connection and lack of help that can often cause the failure of the dreams. She started off, there's a couple of things um, um, that I wanted to pull out of this particular video and then what it led, I went down one heck of a rabbit I bet. Hole. I really I bet, did. Yeah. Um, but one of the things she said at the top of her story, she was explaining her own journey to where she is with her career now. And um, she had this moment where she thought, was my gravestone going to say... Her house was frequently clean for very brief periods of time. <laughs> and I almost spat my coffee out. <laughs> I was like, oh, gosh, could be, that's could me. Be, yeah. <laughs> frequently clean, not even very clean. Frequently no. clean for very brief periods of time. I thought, oh, yeah, OK. And she describes herself a lot of times as not a new age lady. I'm an old age lady, which I quite like. Yeah. And what she said is... She was talking through this story, so she was a very good speaker because she everything was placed within a story. And this was one where she was running these uh, groups of people, and I can't even remember, I think it was the groups were initially set up to help people to express emotions. But what, what they ended up becoming is the support group for people to achieve their dreams. So it started off with one man that she described hilariously. This man was called Ronnie, and he wanted a good apartment and the group helped him to find an apartment. Yeah, he moved in, and then so almost impossible dream. If you'd ever hear the full description of Ronnie, um, he wanted to meet a woman. Okay, and and they, they, she talked through the ways that they you know, they planned parties and this that and the other, and you know it took a long time, but Ronnie did eventually meet a rather wonderful woman. But there were people that wanted to go to law school, wanted to adopt a child, to travel, to create a workshop. Um, to dance with Patrick Swayze. That was quite a funny story. So the main point of these groups was she would get somebody to say what their wish was and then what the obstacle was in the way of that wish. And that was really important. So what is it that's standing in your way? And she was saying that what you need to do in order to achieve your dreams is to get yourself a team that will help you to figure out how to achieve your goal. In a later video I saw, she said you need, you might need a team to help you to figure out what it is that you want as well. Okay, yeah. It's not always that clear. So she talks about things such as ideas parties and how to get people together. Not necessarily your nearest and dearest. Other people who can look at it from a different perspective. And within a business, that's not going to yeah. be your nearest and dearest. Exactly. Yeah. And she said then... You need the obstacle there in these parties. You need the wish and the obstacle because we're problem-solving animals. People like to solve problems and people like to help. So she told another story about this accountant who wanted to be a cowboy, but he dismissed it. I can't possibly be a cowboy. And it's a longer story, so it is really worth listening to explain it. But this guy ended up doing the accounts for a guy who ran... um, 
I don't know what they call them a in America. Ranch? A ranch, is it? Yep. Who has cowboys. So he did the accounts and then he'd let him go off and play with the cowboys. Oh, my goodness. So this guy then, the accountant, ended up moving closer to this ranch so that he could be part accountant, part cowboy. And he was doing his accounts for his other clients online. So these things are sort of possible. She got some lovely stories. All of those things were really explained. But she says, we depend on each other's dreams coming true. Everyone you make someone else's. So everyone that you help to make a dream come true for, that dream then echoes on to somebody else. So it was lovely, really, really nice. But then that's where I got lost down the rabbit hole. So there was another one, uh, a talk, where she talks about the transition. And she, she was saying, essentially, once you know what it is that you want to do and you've, you've got rid of the obstacles, whatever you do, don't just give up your job. Don't no. jump into it. No. She says, for example, um, if you think about it, you don't go shopping for new outfits in the new season, start naked, because you'd burned all your old clothes before you left the house. I thought it was That's a brilliant, brilliant analogy. analogy. Yeah. yeah, She says you wear your old clothes, you get your new clothes and then you get rid of the old clothes. And so she was saying that the way of transitioning into a new career, a new lifestyle, is you, you, you do a little bit and then you do a little bit more and then you eventually let go of your old job. So I thought it was really wise advice mm. with the mm. lovely analogy mm. of somebody going shopping naked. Please don't do Well, this. yes. <laughs> Um, and then I went to her own website and there was a lot of um, material on there that was really valuable. You could have a, a free copy of how to throw a, an idea party. So this is where you, you get people coming together. And it's a little bit like a mastermind group, I guess, where people are coming together. Um, it's really interesting that the ebook is called How to Get What You Really Want, even if you have no goals, no character, and you're often in a lousy mood. <laughs> how many people it written about me? Yeah, how many people relate to that one? So that's available for free. Um, there's another article. It's only too late if you don't start now, and this is for about people who want to change their lives later you know sort of into their middle age and that that was really interesting and then there's a book called wishcraft how to get what you really want and she underlines the fact i'm i'm not new age here this isn't about just wishing for something and hope it comes about but she talks about how you can discover your strengths and your skills turn your fears into positive tools and and chart your progress and get a support network and a buddy system so lots of practical stuff and i was delighted to see that this was available in its entirety on the Wishcraft website, which is another one of Barbara's websites, wishcraft.com. And so you can just download that as a PDF. So that was my discovery this week, rediscovering Barbara Share, and it was an absolute delight. Here at the business community on Callan FM, you may have noticed that Heather and I both like books very much. Um, we probably own a few too many. No, there's never too many books, no, are there? No such thing. And we would both actually quite like to write a book. So we were inspired this week to profile somebody who I'd not really been aware of before, but owned um, something that I'm owned, something I'm sure you've heard of, and that's Foyle's Bookshop. The lady we're talking about is Christina Foyle. She was um, born in 1919, died in 1999, and uh, she's interesting character shall we say so she was um she went to a swiss finishing school and um she she led one of those 
sorts of rarefied lives that is absolutely intriguing. But um, you, you can imagine the... Per- In fact, the pictures I've seen of her, she's wearing a, a pearl necklace and she's got um, coiffed hair and looks very smart. And um, I'm not so sure her, her business skills were top-notch, but she certainly is uh, an interesting character to talk about. Heather, um, did you fall for Christina Foyle's charms? Well, um, it was interesting because I've, I've, I found out, once I found out that she died, I thought, well, there's sure to be an obituary um, for this lady. And obituaries can be kind of warts and all. So whilst they recognised, you know, that she... she she took the job she took the shop from her father and continued running it um she as you say she mixed in really interesting circles and she kept the bookshop going at a time when electronic media was you know was was emerging and and causing problems and in fact um tim waterstone (laughs) opened a flagship store next to foyle's bookshop on charing cross road um which you know is (laughs) Cheeky. It's cheeky, and yet you know they survived. But she she started doing things like um, literary lunches. I'd um, like to go to literary lunches. Yeah, it sounds right. Ladies and gentlemen who went up to London for a day shopping combined it with a lunch, usually at the Dorchester or Grosvenor. Oh yes. Followed by speeches by Bertram Russell, Margaret Thatcher, um, who would be talking about a chosen book. So you know that in itself was fantastic. Um, she, her her management style was um, was quite interesting in that um, basically she just did what she wanted. <laughs> I, I believe that she she um, liked to fire workers at will, and um, apparently um, it was regular that they would dismiss an employee before they got to the period where statutory protection from unfair dismissal kicked in. Yep, she paid them the worst wages outside of the catering industry. But then, um, on the flip side, often entertained them at her large country home, um, which was an abbey that she had inherited from her father in Essex. Um, Unionisation started to cause her problems and people then started going on strike for minimum, minimum pay and, and, uh, and the like. But she, even in her 80s, apparently, she was still reading at least a book a day and drinking only champagne and declining even to try to cook. She berated Hitler for burning Jewish books and instead offered to buy them from him, but he refused. And it seems that her demeanour that seems to fit with the whole you know, pearl necklace and, and coiffured hair. Apparently she had a sort of whimpering, sort of, um, oh, I can't do anything kind of demeanour, but in actual fact, <laughs> tough as old, was uh, tough as old, old boots. boots, yes, yeah. So I, I also um, picked up on something about the, the sort of the management within the shop and you know, obviously um, the staff I'm not sure how they got motivated surely not just the occasional visit to her abbey but uh, they were trying to to um, work with modern technology and it didn't quite work so um, the, their payment system was such that you had to queue first to collect an invoice for a book then you had to queue to pay the invoice and then you had to queue to collect the book Oh, my goodness. And um, the shelving arrangements apparently were by publisher rather than by topic or author. And um, somebody described it as, imagine Kafka had gone into the book trade. So a little bit um, 
bizarre. Um, and as well as, well as um, you're saying about Waterstones, in the 1980s, Dylan's, do you remember Dylan's bookshop? Yes, I do, yeah, yeah. They, they actually placed an advert in the bush shelter opposite Foils saying, Foiled again? Try Dylan's. Oh, <laughs> they are very close because they we've talked about loyalty cards. Apparently, their loyalty card is called Foyalty. <laughs> but they they did become known for excellent service so they they'd order really rare books from places not a great business model because i understand they regularly didn't ask for payment up front so they'd go and get a hold of an expensive book from distant countries and and not take payment in advance but they they were valued by people who you know like that sort of service so um Yes, she's quite an interesting character. I'm not sure I'd have wanted to have worked for her, Heather. No, well, it w- no, I think it would have been quite nice working in the bookshops because I think they were quite pioneering. I mean, talking about the, you know, the, the lunch thing, I mean, it's just loads of um, great, some of the greatest writers, you know, uh, Shaw, Wells, Barry, I mean, she obviously was able, or they as a family, were able to... Um, to pull strings and you know and and bring people in, uh, but the business is going strong. Yeah. Um, it's weathered the storm. In fact, she died seven days after handing the business over to her nephew. So you could argue that she was she was at the helm um, right until the end. Um, and of course, I always think of foils as being in London, but there are several around the country. Mm. It's now owned by Waterstones, isn't it? But they've kept the brand. Yeah, the brand still. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, now, we often talk about our business leaders and gurus in terms of their philanthropy. Now, um, Christina Foyle's philanthropy was after she died. So the, the Foyle Foundation was founded in 2001 under the terms of her will. Oh, I haven't heard um, that And right, it okay. makes grants in the fields of art and learning and health. And um, in 2010, that's the latest um, figures I've got, um, the fund was worth over £76 million. So that's uh, that's philanthropy um, after the fact. I'm not sure what she did during her life, and maybe she did. If she left that sort of um, provision in her will, presumably there were other things going on in her lifetime as well. So there we go. We've had a bit of a book theme to this week's show. Quick, let's go buy some more books. <laughs> That's all we've got time for this week, so we hope you join us next week for the business community on Calon FM. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.